0: Oh, this is Lowell Jackson. Let's have some fellowship about the coronavirus. You have probably heard uh, more than you wanted to hear already, but I think today we're going to give you some aspects of uh, this phenomenon from God's Word that you might not have heard before. Uh, I'll just remind you of what we said before about the little song there that the college kids were singing from Nehemiah chapter 8.10. God's people were not in a happy spot. It was not a happy environment. Uh, They were in a war zone. Uh, They had vicious enemies trying to annihilate them. And uh, the prophet was reminding them that the joy of the Lord is their strength. So we uh, we can pick up from that. Uh, Let's uh, remind you of some things you've already heard, and then get on to some things you haven't already heard. Um, I hope that uh, we can share some verses with you. We're probably going to go a little faster than I would like to go, but I'd like for you to be ready to write down some of these verses, of course, if you're not driving. Um, and uh, review them later and also share them with friends who need to hear the perspective that we want to bring to you today. Uh, Last I heard, about 150,000 cases of uh, this coronavirus, about 100 nations, thousands have already died, and it's uh, affecting um, millions and millions of dollars, probably getting up into billions with Things that you never thought would shut down, like universities and Disney and NCAA, NCAA, NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball. Um, Travelers, as you know, have been banned. Um, There's staggering power from a a little germ that apparently is uh, invisible and we can't uh, see it. Stock markets are uh, erratic. I think this is not an official announcement, but I think I heard that McDonald's was closing their dining rooms, Uh, billion-dollar casinos in uh, Las Vegas, many churches, uh, Broadway, the bars are closing. So how do Christians uh, respond in a time like this and uh, get perspective from what is going on and um, open up the Bible? Let the Bible interpret the Bible, as we have said before. How do we get understanding? How do we make sense of this? That's what we're going to try to do. So I hope you will uh, call a friend if the Lord impresses you that uh, a friend and a contact of yours is troubled, because we're going to open up the Bible and uh, share some verses and see uh, if we can get... uh, the heavenly view of what's going on on planet Earth. So again, I'd encourage you to write down uh, some of these verses. Um, The Lord is not surprised by what is happening. Uh, He still rules every molecule in the universe. And uh, he already told us uh, that this was going to happen. He has told us the things that will go on between his first coming and his second coming. And he did so uh, in Luke chapter 21 in response to uh, a question. Uh, The verse says that uh, they questioned him saying, Teacher, when therefore will these things be? And what will be the signs when these things are about to take place? Now, the the signs that the Lord answered this question with are pretty, most of them are pretty well known. You probably guess things like earthquakes. Uh, but I think we've probably gotten numb to that sign. Uh, if you hear of an earthquake in California, it's ho-hum. There's another one. Um, And by the way, I think they're having earthquakes now in places that never had them before, like the Midwest and in Tennessee, even. Uh, But that's not the point of today's fellowship. What is probably overlooked is a few verses down uh, from that verse 7 in Matthew, excuse me, again, we're in Luke chapter 21. The Lord said, uh, In various places, There will be famines and pestilences. Have you ever heard anybody talk about pestilences? Have you ever heard a Bible study or a sermon that brought out what pestilence is? Well, I must confess, I had to look it up in the dictionary. Um, And here's what the dictionary says is a pestilence. Again, something that the Lord said we should expect between His first coming and His second coming. According to the dictionary, a pestilence is a deadly epidemic disease. A deadly epidemic disease. And I'm getting uh, this again from verse 11 of Luke chapter 21. So the Lord told us, what to expect. Um, so, what is going on? How shall we process this? Let's look at its potential uh, implications from several different aspects. Um, first of all, uh, the Earth, the planet Earth, is, is under a curse. It's the curse of our rebellion of our independence from God, of our fall into sin. And um, the ultimate curse of the rebellion of the human race and our fall from God's goodness and our dependence, our fall from dependence on God is that eventually everything on planet Earth dies. It's one of the characteristics of uh, this uh, fallen age that we're in. Uh, There is a certain uh, futility that characterizes this age. Um, The Bible calls it corruption. Uh, When sin entered, death also entered. Uh, Death was not part of God's original intention, part of the design of his beautiful creation and his ultimate uh, creation of man. But because of uh, uh, sin, everything ultimately dies. Romans chapter 8, verses 20 through 23 says the creation was subjected to futility. Subjected to futility. This whole planet, and obviously all the systems that man has designed and concocted and come up with, are part of this futility. Uh, all mankind, even the old creation, are under uh, this, uh, this curse. Um, but this futility, this overhanging curse, is uh, not stronger than our Lord Jesus. And uh, this is not the first time that we've had uh, natural calamities, uh, this is probably the first time that most average Americans have experienced such. Let me give you an example. In the, on December 26, 2004, 200,000 people were killed in a tsunami in the Indian Ocean. Um, incidentally, this happened on uh, what most people call a Sunday morning. What uh, the Bible would call the Lord's Day. And many believers were no doubt gathered for worship. Uh, And many of them uh, not uh, necessarily being judged by God in a specific way, but again, part of this general calamity that we're in. Uh, Jesus could have certainly stopped it. He has all the knowledge, he has all the authority. He has complete power to restrain something. He doesn't necessarily cause bad things to happen, but nothing gets by him. And I'll remind you of Matthew 28:18 where the Lord Jesus in his closing remarks to his disciples said, "All authority." What do you think all means? How about we let it mean all? All authority has been given to me, given to me on heaven and on earth. So we see that there is a a, a governing. This planet still is in rebellion, controlled by the evil one. But Jesus is overseeing. He is limiting he does guide, and he does govern all these uh, disasters and consequences that we've talked about. Well, how do we understand this? And How do we, we, we make sense of it? Um, I want to go at it from several different possibilities, because since there are billions of people on this planet and one God, there are different uh, consequences different situations different applications different experiences so let's uh, let's uh, approach this from how God operates with humans uh, in in general um, what you are noticing as you see people panicking uh, as you see the Hundred two hundred 200-foot lines at the cash registers, at the uh, grocery stores. Why people are hoarding and anxious is because underlying every human being, there is a pervasive fear, and it's probably the number one fear. It's the fear of death. And mankind has this fear his whole life. Uh, Take a look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15. Um, C.S. Lewis made a comment uh, during uh, World War II, I believe it was, that uh, is quite a perspective. Um, He he said war, and of course what we're experiencing right now with this pandemic, uh, does not affect the death rate. I'll let that soak in a little bit what do you think the death rate is among humans the death rate among humans is 100% never 99 and certainly not 101 the death rate among humans is 100% the percentage cannot be increased cannot be changed Um. Uh, the rich cannot buy an extra day. The powerful cannot command an extra day. Um, the Scripture says, "Every man, every human, has this appointment. It's a God-arranged appointment with with death." And um, certainly, um, a car accident. Or a pandemic can be the cause, the occasion for death. But every man, every woman has this appointment. And the reality of death cannot be changed. Um and what happens in a situation like this, we're going through right now in the United States and Europe and actually all, all around the world, a hundred different countries, is that people are being awakened from their stupor. Normally, people suppress this underlying fear. They drug themselves, occupy themselves with materialism, busyness the rat race entertainment uh, chasing vanity chasing stuff chasing success and this busyness drugs people into a um, it's just a stupor not to realize that this is a short short journey we're on in fact, um, in the Bible, it, call, it talks about passing the time of your sojourn. We're just on a little sojourn here in between birth and our ultimate appointment. So what, what can happen in a situation like this is that humans are jarred from their normal stupefying activities and occupations and can awake from vanity to reality and don't know how to handle it because they've never really faced reality, never really uh, dealt with it. So um, another possible aspect of why God would allow these kinds of things is that it can be uh, a judgment Upon the unrighteous. I don't know if this is going to be true, but you might want to pay attention and see what parts of the world have the biggest problems and see if there's any relationship between uh, those particular places and other places that uh, may uh, have a better reflection of how God wanted man to live his or her life. Uh, This mess, I'm told, started in China. This is one of the most wicked countries in the world. Mao Zedong killed millions of people to establish the the government. Christians there are persecuted on a daily basis. I had a scientist tell me recently that uh, when he was in mainland China, before he got to this country, he was followed And he could be interrupted at a restaurant and yanked away for questioning. Christians are hunted down and persecuted and godly men like Watchman Nee put in cages. So it's from China. It's spread to other places, but pay attention to the cities in the United States. Where uh, some of the bigger problems might be. This is not a prediction. This might be interesting for you to compare Jacksonville, Florida to San Francisco. Uh, New York to Dallas. And just see if uh, lifestyles have any correlation. Not a prediction. Just something you might want to pay attention to. Um. God sometimes uses diseases to bring particular judgments upon those who reject him and even ridicule him and give themselves over to blatant, obvious sin. If you take the example in uh, Acts chapter 12, Herod had blasphemed God, established himself as a God. And uh, verse 23 of Acts 12 says that uh, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last time. So this is a possibility that uh, certain ones, certain places... Uh, might experience uh, judgment. Now, if you want to hear something that's politically incorrect, I'll just give you the verse. You can do your own homework. But there is a particular sin that triggers God's judgment. You can look it up. It's in Romans chapter 1, verse 27. Romans 1, 27. And it brings on what... Um, Verse 18 in chapter 1 talks about. It says the wrath of God is now being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. If you can think of all the characteristics of American life, much of those characteristics suppress the truth. So God can and does use illnesses to bring uh, judgment, sometimes upon those who reject him and blatantly mock him. So this can be a sobering wake-up call to all those that thought they would never have any accountability. All of those wandering around in vanity, ignoring God's law. Well, I want to take a uh, quick break. Our dear brother, uh, Doug Apple will help us. And I'd like to come back and look at this from another angle, hopefully uh, more helpful to you, our listeners, look at it from the angle of uh, God's people, how God does something... uh, um, like allows something like this and how it can affect, and uh, how it applies potentially to the family of God. But let me just say something to you who might not be a believer in Jesus Christ. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Hopefully these activities have sobered you to realize that you need to be dependent on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And right now you can simply say in a childlike way, Lord Jesus, save me. And he would like to do that because this period of time actually is an age of mercy, an age of grace. We have some good news here on this break, and we'll come back and look at this from a different angle.
1: Can I receive the grace of God which I need so desperately?
2: Through Jesus also we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and boast because of the hope of the glory of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 2. Grace is the triune God Himself, processed that we may enter into Him and enjoy Him. Grace here, in the deepest sense, is the triune God as our enjoyment. It is more than unmerited favor and more than mere outward blessing. We are not merely under God's blessing. We are in His grace. Scripture, Romans 5, verse 2, and commentary from the New Testament Recovery Version published by Living Stream Ministry. For more information, visit lsm.org.
1: Hi, my name is Danielle, and I'm an educational psychologist. I've recently moved from Los Angeles to Tallahassee with my husband, not knowing anybody here and leaving my family in Los Angeles. But praise the Lord, I have a family here in the church. I've really enjoyed meeting in the homes with believers, like in Acts 2.46, and day by day, continuing steadfastly with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they partook of their food with exaltation and simplicity of heart. If you're interested, please call 850-692-9558. Hi, my name is Penny, and one of the highlights of my week is getting together with other ladies in the Tallahassee area to pray. And if this is something you would be interested in, you are welcome to join us for prayer. It's every week here in Tallahassee. Just leave a message at 850-692-9558. We look forward to hearing from you.
0: Thank you, Doug Apple. This is Lowell Jackson. We are having a fellowship. If you just joined us, we are opening the Bible, doing our best to let the Bible interpret the Bible. has been our governing theme throughout this uh, series, and today in particular, we're trying to open the Bible, open our minds, open our spirit, open our heart, um, and even open our emotions, which are all probably being jacked around by... uh, the uh, news of the media regarding the coronavirus. I want to shift gears now and see how God operates with his own family, how God operates with believers. Let's uh, go back a few thousand years and remember the promise in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, when it talked about a child would be born to us, a son, S-O-N, would be given to us. Remember the next part? The government. The government is upon his shoulder. So this one promise to us back in Isaiah is governing. He has responsibility for God's government. Um, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, um, it talks about um, the... Christians, believers, will be judged, each one according to his work, and it says for us to pass the time of your sojourning in fear. Now, I don't believe the fear here is a uh, irrational, panicking type of fear. I believe it's a sobering awe that we have a brief sojourn between birth and our appointed death time, and we travel. We uh, we sojourn with an awesome expectation that we will face the Lord and give an account and be responsible. In particular in God's Word, the two epistles of Peter are on the subject of God's governing, His oversight, his administration. Um, uh, in First Peter chapter 4, verse 17, it tells us that God's governing, his, his governing judgment, actually. And by the way, don't think judgment is always negative. Judgment just means uh, evaluation. Now, of course, uh, it, it could be negative, but it could also be positive. So uh, keep, keep a balance there. But it tells us that um, God's governing judgment begins with his own household. It begins with his own children, Let me read the verse to you, for it is time, it is time for the judgment to begin from the house of God. It begins with the house of God. God could not righteously judge those outside the house if he hadn't taken care of those in his own house. And the scripture goes on to say, and if first from us, what will the end of those who disobey the gospel of God? Now, this is God's governing, obviously pointing to two different categories of people. So what's the purpose of God's governing judgment? Well, what's going on now? Uh, during this period of time we're in, between the first coming and the second coming, is God is beginning a process of cleansing the universe. Uh, And he's doing that through judgment. Eventually, the universe will be new. N-E-W, new. So God needs to cleanse the universe. He needs to purify it. And to do this... He starts with, by purifying us. In the two epistles of Peter, he um, does some comparing, and he talks about uh, that undergoing a fiery trial. Uh, interesting term, not just a trial. Peter calls it a fiery trial, and that's the same word that you would use for what goes on in a furnace, if you put gold in a furnace, and why would I use gold as an example? Because gold is pictured in the Bible as a, a type of the divine nature which got birthed into us when we were regenerated. But this, but gold has to go through a, a refining process. In First Peter chapter five, verse ten the god's word says but the god of all grace he who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ Jesus after you've suffered after you've suffered a little while will himself perfect establish strengthen and ground you so what happens in a furnace of course is that the dross the waste Gets burned away, and the pure gold comes out of the furnace. What's God want to do with us? God wants to perfect us, to make us like Him. And fiery ordeals that we go through, whatever they are, in our on our sojourn, do purify us. And many times the traditional um, highlighting of what's going on in the Bible. Uh, skips over some of these kinds of things and doesn't apply the pure word of God, the whole counsel of God to our life and to what's going on around us. 1 Peter chapter 4.12 says, Beloved, don't you like to be called beloved? Is there a better thing you could be called than beloved? That's what God calls his very own. 1 Peter chapter four verse twelve. Beloved, do not think that the fiery trial, the fiery ordeal among you coming to you for a trial is strange, as if it were a strange thing happening to you. May I read that again? Beloved, do not think. That the fiery ordeal among you, coming to you for a trial, is strange, as if it were a strange thing happening to you. So again, a fiery ordeal is for purifying. Um, the, The burning furnace used by God to purify us. A fiery ordeal is God's way to deal with members of his household. God can use fiery ordeals as a furnace to purify any dross that we believers may have. And, you know, beloved, if we're honest, can't we admit that we need to be purified? We need to be purified. When we believers get caught up In the activities of the age, we look like the age, we act like the age, we begin to talk like the age, we just look like the fallen society around us. God wants to purify us. So he may put us in a burning furnace, into a fiery ordeal to burn away the dross. You know the verse in Hebrews, chapter 12, verse six, that says, for whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He scourges every son whom he receives. So God's judgment with us is carried out in the environment that he allows, perhaps even arranges in his sovereignty. And what can happen with believers when this gets our attention is that we can seek the Lord in a different, uh, different, and maybe much deeper way, wonderful advice for us believers in a time like this is uh, Peter's word in chapter five, verses six through eight. It gives us three things we can do. We need to do these three things. First, he says to humble yourself, not in some kind of natural whipped-up humility. But he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, under God's mighty hand. And we realize this is a powerful governing hand. And uh, we need to honor, respect, and come under this mighty hand. The second thing God tells us here in his word is that we cast our anxiety on him. The things going on around us and the badgering news that you're getting will create anxiety. Anxiety is a characteristic of the current age that we're in. And the word says that we're to cast it. That means throw it away, throw it off, throw it it off your shoulders and cast it on him. Lord, I reject this anxiety because I've got the big picture. I have you. And the third thing Peter tells us to do in chapter 5, again, verses 6 through 8, is to be sober. Be sober and watch. So as believers, we don't need to uh, worry or be anxious, but we do need to open ourselves in a deeper way to the Lord. The Lord's love for us is a perfecting love not a spoiling love because god is wise he doesn't spoil his children he he disciplines us for the purpose of perfecting us and even moses one of the standout leaders throughout the history of god's people was disciplined by god so god is a loving god we hear that quite often But his love is a perfecting love, not a spoiling love for his children. Look at uh, another verse here in Peter, um, because he was writing to believers who were certainly going through a fiery ordeal. He says in his second epistle, chapter 3 and verse 13, that um, we are expecting new heavens, and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So, the, in the new heavens and the new earth, righteousness will be the characteristic, not the exception. And God wants his people now to begin uh, the process of preparing for the new heaven and the new earth. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, God's word says he disciplines for what is profitable. So when we're going through some kind of discipline, if we are affected in any way by what's going on around us, we need to make sure we are getting profit from it. Uh, Gaining, gaining more of God and dropping more of the dross and the vanity let us get back to the verse he disciplines for what is profitable that we might partake of his holiness first peter chapter 1 verses 15 to 16 uh, say that according to the holy one who called you you yourselves also be holy in all your manner of life because it is written you shall be holy Because I am holy. The Holy One here is the one God, the triune God, the choosing Father, the redeeming Son, and the sanctifying Spirit. We become holy through the sanctification of the Spirit that's based on and starts with regeneration, and it brings the holy nature of God into us, and it should issue in a holy life, a holy living the the father God the Father has regenerated us to produce a holy family. That's a holy father with holy children. He begot us with his life inwardly so that we would have his holy nature and he disciplines us outwardly so that we might partake of his holiness in our manner of life. And when we believers realize, that we are not expressing God. We are not an expression of this holy God. It doesn't mean we're weird or religious. It just means we're righteous in our dealings. If we are not doing this, there is the wonderful promise to us believers in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, of how faithful God is if we will just confess our sins. Just be honest. Confess our sins. If we will do that, he's faithful and he's righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, so what could be an effect of a shaking like is going on now among God's people and maybe even again for unbelievers is that this could be a a real thunderclap you know I'm told uh, that thunder won't hurt you I'm not sure about that but I'm also told that thunder comes before lightning and if you have contact with lightning it will hurt you this could be a Beloved, a thunderclap, a thunderclap of actually of divine mercy. And uh, it's it's an opportunity. There's a message from God that, you know, the word that we probably don't use very much. Repent just means to make a U-turn. Turn around. We've been going the wrong way. Um, I hope that repressive countries like China and Iran, North Korea, those who are brutal to God's people, um, will have a turn, be humbled and their harsh and repressive ways, um, will be uh, changed and God's people will have the the liberty to enjoy him, express him, and gain him. If you've just joined us, we are having some fellowship with an open Bible regarding what is going on in the world um, with the uh, coronavirus. I have pointed out already that the Lord told us this was going to happen. He told us in Luke chapter 21, verse 11, that there will be between the first coming and the second coming pestilences, which uh, are described as a uh, deadly epidemic by the dictionary. Um, So this should be no surprise to us believers, but it certainly could be profitable for us. Um, Even though God doesn't cause the bad things that happen, he does allow them. Uh, has to pass through his, his governing throne, his oversight administration. Um, and we know from Romans 8.28 that he can cause even bad things to work for good. Uh, doesn't fit our logic too well, um, but he can cause bad things to have good results. When During times like this, the believers need to be the, the salt, the light, affecting the, the taste and affecting the, the seeing. And it can reorient the worldly believers and bring perspective uh, to vanity and bring us to what is reality. And you'll also find, I think, there's going to be some unprecedented openness uh, to the gospel. Um It says in Luke chapter 21, a few verses further on down in verse 13, it says that uh, for you, and this is us, the Lord's talking to his disciples about all of these things that are going to happen like famines and pestilences and earthquakes, and it says it will turn out to you, in verse 13, it will turn out to you for a testimony. This is the time, beloved, for the testimony, the faithful testimony to come forth. Um, so, this can be a catalyst that forces us to uh, move in a, in a different direction, uh, forces us to uh, refocus. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, the apostle says, we rejoice in hope Of the glory of God. More than that. More than that. What could be better than hoping to be in the glory of God? He says, more than that. We rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So for some, when they're going through a suffering, it causes rebellion and anger and crushing of hope instead of bolstering it. But what's the difference? Um... Well, we, in order to find hope when there's some suffering going on, and I don't know about you, but I don't know of too many Americans that are actually suffering right now. Let's call it inconvenience. We're bunkered in our homes, um, stocked up with plenty of mm, plenty of food in most cases. Uh, not exactly a suffering. Let's call it an inconvenience. But uh, to find hope... Um, our hope is not in the situation will turn out in a certain way and have a happy ending or that God will give us exactly what we want out of something, but rather that God will always do what is best for his purpose and for his people. It's it's a living hope in a person who loves us and is accessible to us. It's a, not in a hope of a particular outcome that, uh, we envision or think should happen. Um, What uh, the apostle used the fiery ordeal analogy, and we discussed that as a refining fire, because something like this can be an opportunity for us to grow because we drop a lot of things that are not important. And uh, this can produce a a living hope in us. These are uh, times that that test really what we're made out of. You know, the Apostle Paul almost died multiple times. He, He almost died, either from things that were going on or things that he was inflicted with. But he was able to say, for me to live is Christ." And to die is gain. So, what all of these sufferings and calamities that Paul went through reduced him down to, he could say, I'm very simple. For me to live is Christ, it's a person. I've dropped all the other stuff, all the other non important things. For me to live is Christ, and to die is even gain. So in times like these, we believers can bring a, a totally different perspective to the situation. Um, you will never you will find that people are open now to your sharing to your testimony that were too busy before. And now they're bored or they're oding on frightening news, and you have good news. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, chapter 10, that God has prepared good works for us. Good works for us. Others are consumed by fear. Others are paralyzed. And it's time for believers to have a testimony of a a different news. Christians uh, need to move forward. Uh, our fearful neighborhoods and cities need to be filled with the name of Jesus. You'll find that your relatives, your friends, your co workers, um, your contacts are more open than ever to hearing something that is good news. Good news, the name of Jesus. The gospel is usually drowned out by all the uh, affluence and busyness and distracting things. Um, But it's it's in times like this that Christians can make a real difference. In London, a couple centuries ago, they were going through a, a cholera outbreak. And Charles Spurgeon stood up, spoke to thousands of people, as he did each week, by the way, without a microphone. And Spurgeon said, now is the time for all of you who love souls. Men are alarmed. Avail yourselves of the opportunity. You have the balm of Gilead. Their wounds are smarting. You know of him who died to save. Tell them, tell them. Tell them that God became man, that man might be lifted to God. Tell them of Calvary. Tell them of groans and cries and the sweat of blood. Tell them of Jesus hanging on the cross to save sinners. Tell them that there's life in the crucified one. And the cholera in this huge city of London was killing so many people. So, um, for many people who think it's the 11th hour, it's a a wake-up call. Let me see if you can guess who said this and when they said it, because we think somehow now we're in some kind of unique situation. This uh, leader of God's people, said, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, I'll help purify the air, I'll administer medicine, and I will take the medicine. I'll avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated, and thus bring inflection, infection, and pollute others, and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me, and I've done what he's expected of me, so I'm not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I will—I shall not avoid the place or the person, but will go freely, as I stated above. So this is such a god-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor fool-hearted and does not tempt God. You know who said that? That was said by Martin Luther during the Black Death plague in Germany. Brothers and sisters, What we're going through is not new. It just is a call for God's people to be a testimony. Well, I'm going to pause for some good news, and we'll be right back to kind of pull this all together and wrap it up. This is Lowell Jackson on Wave 94.
1: forgive someone who has hurt me so badly
2: bearing one another and forgiving one another if anyone should have a complaint against anyone even as the Lord forgave you so also should you forgive Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 the forgiving Lord is our life and lives within us forgiving is a virtue of his life When we take Him as our life and person and live by Him, our forgiving of others will be spontaneous. It will become a virtue of our Christian life. Scripture, Colossians 3.13 and commentary from the New Testament Recovery Version published by Living Stream Ministry. For more information, visit lsm.org.
1: received a recovery version for the first time my freshman year in college since that time i have really enjoyed reading it especially the outlines for each book and the cross references when reading these outlines for each book of the bible i have begun to realize that the bible isn't a disjointed series of records but instead it is a comprehensive unit a complete book and it conveys god's thought from beginning to end reading through these outlines and the cross references is to me what paul spoke of to timothy About cutting straight the word of the truth.
0: To receive your free copy of the Recovery Version, call Bibles for America at 1-888-551-0102. That number again is 1-888-551-0102. Or you can visit the Bibles for America website at www.biblesforamerica.org. Again, that's www.biblesforamerica.org dot o r g Thank you, Doug Apple. This is Lowell Jackson. We are having a fellowship uh, regarding the current phenomenon going on on planet Earth, affecting, uh, I'm told, about a 100 countries and causing unprecedented uh, shutdowns and interruptions of so-called normal life. Um, we, If you just joined us, just jumping in your car on the way home, where we've set this up with uh, a uh, heads-up that the Lord gave us in Luke chapter 21, verse 11, when he answered the question he was asked in verse 7, "'What are the signs that are going to take place before your return?' Most people are pretty much uh, familiar with uh, things like wars. We're still having a few of those, right? Uh, don't seem to be able to shake that pattern. Uh, and earthquakes. But not too much attention, at least in my awareness, has been paid to one of the things he said was coming uh, in verse 11, that uh, there would be pestilences. That's not a very commonly used word in my circles, I looked it up in the dictionary and pestilence means deadly epidemic disease, deadly epidemic disease. Um, This is right out of Luke chapter 21. And we've um, also been uh, sharing, if you just joined us, some of the uh, uh, multiple things that something like this could accomplish that would actually uh, uh, be, be actually turned turn for good, as Romans 8.28 says. And one of the things uh, the Lord said when he concluded this list of things to look for and expect is in verse 13. He said, this, meaning these things, these signs, these things you should expect, will turn out to you, yes, to you, will turn out to you a testimony. And beloved, the world needs uh, a testimony right now. Uh, We also talked about that uh, things like this can be a judgment on the unrighteous. Um, It can be a consequence of our independence, our rebellion, effects of the fall. Um, It can be a perfecting and a refining of God's children And it can be a real sobering to wake us all up to the futility of this age. And for believers, it's an unprecedented opportunity uh, for us to share good news, perspective. Um, The foundations most people have are shaking. They need a good word. Uh, Your friends, your relatives, your coworkers, your neighbors. And it's time for what the Bible calls to redeem the time. Use this time. Save this time. You're going to have some more time at home. I suggest you use it constructively. Go to bfa.org. That stands for Bibles for America.org. They'll send you some of the best Christian books ever published. This is Lowell Jackson on Wave 94.